Are you ready? Ready to release internal pain? To find confidence, clarity, and direction for your future? To live a life of meaning, fulfillment, and contribution? To trust your intuition again, but something's been holding you back? You've come to the right place. Welcome. I'm Ian Hawkins, the host and founder of the Grief Code podcast. Together, let's heal your unresolved or unknown grief by unlocking your grief code. As you tune in to each episode, you will receive insight into your own grief, how to eliminate it and what to do next. Before we start, I have one request. If any new insights or awareness land with you during this episode, please send me an email at info at ianhawkinscoaching.com and let me know what you found. I know the power of this work and I love to hear the impact these conversations have. Okay, let's get into it. Jodie Atkinson is a certified grief recovery specialist. So we do similar work, but enough difference to make this a really interesting conversation. From her experience of suffering grief with the loss of her husband, the her different experiences with support, without support, and getting the right kind of support through that time, eventually taking her to the place where she wanted to help other people through this as well and becoming that certified specialist. Really unique way of helping that Jody also has created is a cabaret show around dealing with grief. Nothing I've ever heard about before, but sounds amazing. And her story is amazing. You'll take so much inspiration from this, but if you've ever been through the loss of someone close to you, you're going to take, you're going to resonate with so much of this story and take so much wisdom and and tips and knowledge from this. Hey, everyone, and welcome to this week's guest, Jody Atkinson. How are you, Jody? Good morning. I'm well, thanks. How are you? Very well, thank you. Uh, another person that works in the grief space, so I'm very much looking forward to this. We just had a bit of a joke before because we're going to reference your book later, but it was just fell down behind you as a little bit of a reminder to make sure that we mention it. <laughs> I don't know. It's uh, yeah. Never mind. As long as the as long as the butterfly mobile doesn't fall down. <laughs> yeah, we'll know about it, won't we? We will. Um, so how was it that you came to be working in the grief space, Jody? Mm. Well, I get this question a lot, Ian, and it's not because, you know, one day you just think, I, w- I really wanted to work in loss and grief, you know, and yeah, yeah. it is through life experience um, and discovering a bit of a gap, I guess, in the support out there for, for people firsthand and realising that... Um, you know, you don't know what you don't know until you're you're looking for it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, did you find at a particular point and of the process? For me, the one that really stood out was in about a week and a half, two weeks, the rest of the world gets on with the rest of their life and even your family, you kind of go separate ways and then you're left going, now what do I do? Yeah, I think that that is definitely something. Um, but for me, I think it was more immediate. It was okay. panic, panic attacks, anxiety, oh, fear, wow. yeah. big, big emotions that were quite foreign to me. And I felt scared to be alone with them. Huh. Yeah. Um, 
is that because typically, and I'll ask this through the lens if you've done some learning since then, is that because typically up until that point you'd, you'd suppressed emotions or you'd never just faced anything that big before? I've never faced anything that big before, but I think also, you know, my observations of people grieving had been crying, sadness. No one ever talked about other stuff. Um, so when I experienced those emotions, I, I thought I was going mad, actually. I thought, uh, this, I'm actually losing my mind here. That's how That's that how I felt. Yeah, tell me how that showed up. Like when you say losing your mind, what what was going through your head? Uh, bouncing from one emotion to the other within seconds, minutes. Um, so I could be completely foggy and vague and just be losing time into a coffee cup and the next thing a panic attack out of the blue. Um, and I'd be, you know, heart racing, sucking air in, like pacing up and down trying to work out what was going on and then that would kind of shift and it would be exhaustion and then it, it, I could look at people and see them talking to me but I, I couldn't I was like did you say something you know I wasn't I just didn't take stuff in um I I was really scared really scared I'd never experienced anything like it it's yeah like in a daze yeah it, and, and just what, bouncing, yeah, from one to the other. Yeah. What was the scariest part of that? Um, I think the panic attacks. Yeah. I, I remember saying to my mum, if this is how my life is going to be from now on, I don't want to be here. Oh, yeah. wow. How did your mum respond to that? She's quite calm yeah, <laughs> for yeah. considering. She, she just went, okay, right, you know, and I just said, I need help. I need help. Um, I need, I need, I need to speak to someone. Yeah. And I think that's when I discovered that not all support is great support. Um, yeah. I didn't feel like my first experience was helpful at all. I, I actually was in the car afterwards, bawling my eyes out, feeling worse for having gone through that. And pretty worried about trying to navigate the the space to find a suitable fit feeling like I don't want to go through that again I don't want to you know put myself out there to have that happen again I don't think I could stand it um, can you yeah I was gonna say can you elaborate a bit more on that because that's been my experience I've, I've had people come to me after and they're not skeptical but they're a bit uncertain because they've had experiences that have been less than favorable so yeah, what was your experience like? Um, it, it, I wasn't listened to. I felt there was no eye contact. Um, there was fidgeting while I was talking. And all of a sudden, um, it was just like, right, well, that's it. Our time's up. And it was like half an hour. And my experience with, with most other types of counselling or therapy has been at least an hour. Um, and I felt like I had only just kind of allowed myself to fully uh, start to talk to this person, even though I didn't feel like it was a, a good fit. 
Um, and the parting words to me were along the lines of, there's not a lot you can do. You're just going to have to get through it. And What? Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, you know, there was, a, there was three or four things he said to me, and I can't remember all of them, but it was like, you can't drug it, you can't fix it, you can't do this, you just have to get through it. And I can't remember, but I just remember feeling like I felt slapped. And I raced out of the out of the place, got in the car and just, <laughs> I think I, I just sat in the car and howled. And <laughs> it was, yeah. I got home and, and my mum and um, other family members were there. They said, oh, how, how did you go? And I said, oh, you know, I said, I, I won't tell you exactly what I said, but it was along the lines of that was horrendous if I don't ever want to have to go through that again. And I, I don't even know how to, look for that help now knowing that that happened and i just yeah what not that well, actually it's not even relevant what uh what sort of modality um because i don't want to paint a picture that certain modalities aren't work because i think it's like something I you said it. earlier it's like the right the right the right, the right fit for you is the most important thing regardless of how it's approached Correct. And I'm, I certainly, I'm just saying this, this particular thing did not work for me at this time. Um, I have had other types of support in the past that have been great. So I, I'm certainly not here to bag out anything. Yeah. No, I was, my my question was they, were they specifically for grief? I don't No, I think it was just somebody that you can be referred to they you know yeah, they're, right. they're, they're qualified to work with you around this particular thing but yeah, yeah. um as everyone knows there's you know you, you, you've got to shop around to get the right hairdresser or the right gp and you know it's, mm-hmm. it's the same with mental health and with grief support yeah 100 percent. i can tell by the uh roller coaster of emotions through that little uh part of your story that 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 had a significant impact on on where you're at so we haven't even got to what happened but can we keep going down this path because i think this is this is really powerful it's what what next then what did you do well i ended up having um counseling with a um he was a social worker from the palliative care unit that supported um my husband and i and he was great really enjoyed our sessions and it was all phone based so I didn't have to go out of the house or anything I could be I could be in my pajamas and have a session for an hour on the phone and sometimes I was a mess through that session sometimes I didn't cry throughout the whole session and I was okay but um, I found that valuable and helpful but then sometimes people have to go back to where they originally came from, like he was on loan from another service. So our time together had to come to an end and I was sort of put with someone else and the the rapport was not the same. And I felt like it was, you're backing yourself, you're making good decisions, you've got this. But I felt like a little life raft had just been cut loose from the main ship and set off. And, and uh, you know, watching these big waves coming back at me again. What was it about that person that was so good? What did they give you that the others hadn't? Oh, he was just really 
on like in 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 it with me i think it was really supportive very um very good at helping me come up with strategies for managing and that's what i really needed in that space and at that time i needed yeah. coping me mechanisms because i i had to go out of the house to do things and there were days i didn't want to leave my house um my son's birthday his 21st was two weeks after um after you know a pretty major event and I didn't want to not go to his 21st and this this had been planned before you know yeah disaster struck and um yeah so it was about developing a strategy for if I have a panic attack you know seek out the bathroom look for the exits what's your what's your exit strategy we're going to hang out to speeches and then we're going to go um you know and it was great because I felt I could manage it yeah. So I felt supported going back to work, you know, um, scared out of my wits about going back to work. I'm, I can do my job. I was a health and fitness professional at the time. I yeah. could run classes. I, you know, I, I was quite animated and energetic and quite high, high uh, um, energy. And I was scared stiff of standing <laughs> in front of a room full of people to tell them how to do exercise. I, I just, I can't, I can't do that. So um, we come up with a strategy for me to go back to work and have a morning tea before classes started. It was a uh, retirement village. And everyone could come up and give me a hug and we could have a cup of tea and cry if we needed to. And then when I went back in, in my work capacity, it was like business as usual. It was all that's done, all that's out of the way. I'm not gonna get overwhelmed with people their emotions, my emotions, and all of that. And we just get in and do the, the business we need to do. And um, and that worked really well. That was really good. He called it exposure therapy. I just said, can't it just be morning tea? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, um, but yeah, because like, everything has labels, right? Yeah, so, yeah. Um, so, you know, it was a really useful thing to do. But um, I guess, you know, going back to work, I only I started back just doing one class in that first one class a day for the first week, and I was exhausted. I was so exhausted. Forty five minutes of being in front of people. I'd come home, I would fall asleep in the afternoon. I was absolutely exhausted. I couldn't believe how draining that was. Yeah, this is an interesting one. Uh I don't know if it's something that people don't like to admit or what it is, but for me that that exhaustion lasted for years, like post-grief exhaustion. Yeah. I've got a heap of different thoughts on why that is, but have you been able to make sense of, of where the exhaustion comes from? I – look, I – you know, I, I had – done health coaching certification so I understood a little bit about stress in the body and and that kind of thing but I think I didn't connect the dots until I had been talking to a colleague and she sort of said no wonder you're exhausted you're adding stress to an already stressed state and wondering yeah. why you know and and look when I did my own workouts if I overexerted I just burst into tears and I remember being at the gym one day and just crying and the, one of the trainers came over and said, you okay? I said, no. <laughs> and I said, I don't know why I'm crying. Um, I think I just did a couple too many box jumps. I've, I've, I've completely, you know, just overdone it. So I stopped doing cardio and just focused on doing weights because if I ran 
or got out of breath, I just lost it. So it was quite foreign. Like I, I was a pretty fit individual. Like I was, I used to ride bikes and, and, you know, do all sorts of different events and run six classes a day and dance around with kids in schools and stuff. Like I, I was um, pretty fit. So to have that happen, like I said, I thought I was going mad. I thought I was losing my mind because this is just not normal. Yeah. Um, <sighs> Heavy stuff, hey? Yeah. But what you just said there is something that I think a lot of people face is what something wrong with me. Like, why, why am I reacting like this? So it's a, it's a not something that most share. So, yeah, thank you for sharing that, Jody. It's a big one. Yeah. I was I was acutely aware, like I just, I, I felt like I was observing myself more than I'd ever really done in the past. Yeah. I, I felt like yeah. it, I was constantly going, this is weird. This is new. Look at you. You don't talk like that. That's, yeah, I felt like there were two, like there was an observer and then there was a doer. And and it, it that's I, I, trying to make sense of before and after Jody was yeah was it was fascinating weird scary it was a whole raft of things yeah yeah and that's just for you uh, imagine all the <laughs> other people in your world right that's one of the other big things is that suddenly you you uh you become a different person and uh or maybe you become more of who you were originally whatever it is anyway you go through changes and that can be hard for other people to face mm -hmm. absolutely so can we just backpedal and so yep. your husband your husband got sick was that out of the blue it was out of the blue um so my husband's name was craig he he was 52 and he was a pretty fit individual active ate pretty well i went vegetarian he cut back on meat so you know we we ate fairly well um we used to be quite active walking um worked out at home together, you know, took active holidays. And he was taking the dog out 5Ks a day for a walk um, every morning. He'd taken a redundancy from work and we were getting ready to enjoy a life of um, normalcy. And when I say that, like he was a shift worker, so no more weekend work, no more night shift, no more seven-day rosters, you know, back to kind of having some scope of what normal people go through or normal people yeah. would have you know i say normal you know but yeah. um he um around about sort of easter weekend of 2019 he was complaining of a sore back and it was progressively getting worse and he he'd occasionally like over the years that would happen and he'd go and have some physio or go see the chiropractor or have a massage and it would be okay but this wasn't going away and it was on one side in particular. And then there was this strange indigestion that kind of crept in and he went to the doctor and the doctor basically said, oh, you've taken an anti-inflammatory, flared up your stomach. Here, take this antacid, go home. And it was like he didn't, didn't examine him, didn't look at him, did just kind of, oh, yeah, no worries, that's what's happened. Mm. And I just said, oh, that's not a, that's not what's happened here because this anti-inflammatory was something that he'd taken 
on and off over time, you know, when he did have a, a flare up with his back or whatever, just from overdoing things. And it didn't upset his stomach. So you just know. Yeah. So he, um, we went to see a doctor we'd never met before and she was thorough and sent him off for a scan. And uh, we were meant to see her the next day to get the results, but she called him in that afternoon. And that's when we discovered he had, yeah, he had uh, uh, pancreatic cancer and it had metastasized to his liver. And she had told us she'd also made a tentative appointment for the two days later at an oncologist for him because she wanted to get on it. Um, and we found out he was stage four. And uh, pancreatic cancer, I've heard, is quite aggressive and, and, and it can be a fast process too. It's, it's, uh, it, it's aggressive. It's silent. It, um, its symptoms are very general. Like I said, sore back, a bit of indigestion. Um, it's, it's and, and look, most, I shouldn't say most people, but in a lot of cases, people are stage four before they know they've got it. Um, so looking at Craig, you wouldn't have known he was sick at all, like apart from just, you know, the, the complaints that he was having. Yeah. So. Now, you've said you've put this in a book and, and, uh, and you're okay to talk about this. So, so yep. how fast are we talking about him going downhill? Um, well, we... We're told with, with treatment we had six to eight months, right? So um, we started treatment. He, he made the choice. I said I'd back whatever he wanted to do. He decided yeah. to go with treatment and 37 days later he was gone. So, yeah, it was fast. It was brutal. It was, yeah. Even just hearing the six to eight months like you've got two things going on you've got one is the reaction of what it means for you but then there's also the the wife that's like got to be there for him as well like that must have been excruciating well we weren't even used to the fact he was sick you know yeah. like you think how can how how does this happen to someone who's active and fit and doing all the stuff that he does in, you know, moving furniture with mates one weekend and a birdcage the next, like he's, you know, uh, it, it just was bizarre. And, and, but it seemed, um, you know, once treatment started, it just accelerated. Like he just went downhill so quick. It was like, it was like the Benjamin Button movie in reverse, you know, where mm -hmm. Brad Pitt's character gets younger yeah. Craig was changing on the daily. Like, it was that quick. Um, and it it really was um, a really, yeah, trying to navigate that. Um, you know, chemo appointments, like life became all about doctors, medication, appointments. How were you yeah. coping at that point? Um, I had moments. I, I, I wouldn't um, like. There were days I just, you know, I, I, I'd lose it. I, I put a story in the book about, when, you know, having breakfast one day and 
put my cereal in the microwave and the microwave just cut out and stopped working. So I swore at it and burst into tears. And he's come out and said, it's just a microwave. And I went, it's not just a microwave, is it? Like it's, it's this is happening while we're trying it's to everything. deal with this. And, you know, the microwave giving up on me that morning was just like the camel, the, stro uh, the straw that broke the camel's back. I, hmm. I, I didn't want to go to work and leave him home like he was still quite well at that point but yeah it was um it was hard and I didn't allow myself to flash forward too much to think about where where this was going I just thought I want to be in the moment and you know do what we need to do now rather than worrying about where this is going and what's going to happen yeah to me, nothing brings you back to present moment like grief, right? Oh, like, I, I can't even tell you what I was worried about or what issues yeah. were happening in the world at that time. I, I have no idea because my our world shrank. Hmm. And Craig was quite private and reserved. He, out of the two of us, you know, um, and he just said, I don't want everyone knowing. So we kept it fairly tight and we told close friends and family only what was happening. I had to kind of come out of the bag a little bit with clients because I said, look, this is happening. Um, I have to take him for appointments. So I had to kind of bring my clients in a little bit and just say, look, this is, I may have to cancel at the last minute. Um, please understand why. Um, and they were amazing. They were brilliant. Um, totally got it. But they didn't know the severity and they they didn't know the type and they didn't know the time frame. I, there were things I just didn't disclose. Yeah. So you weren't getting any support then really at all? We had, um, I, I, I contacted the Cancer Council and I had spoken yeah. to um, nurses over the phone. Um, we had palliative care come in and we had a beautiful nurse um, do home visit with us. Um, and we were talking about furniture and, and bedding and things like that. Um, but I didn't, I'm just trying to think. We had a couple of close friends we told, so I did talk to them. But yeah, it's funny. I, I don't remember that aspect now that you've asked me that because I think I was just so thinking about him and you mentioned sorry go on yeah no it's all right oh, I was going to say you mentioned your mum before I imagine your mum would have just done what mums do which is just come in and uh well, yeah I mean that well when when Craig was admitted to hospital she was in Queensland with my other sister and things were starting to go downhill and she jumped on a plane and came straight back to Adelaide mm. and she basically um, took over the home here um, and I moved into the hospital with Craig. Um, so she was looking after the dog and the cats and Craig's family and ferrying people backwards and forwards to the hospital and, and all of that stuff. So, yeah, um, looking after the kids, that kind of stuff. I mean, they were young adults at that point, but still. Mm. <laughs> I don't know if there's an easier time of life, but uh, that older age group, 
you know exactly what's going on, like really aware that it'd be almost more challenging in a small child. Small child maybe a bit, bit oblivious. They sort of can feel what's going on, but they're not conscious of it. So, so how did you go having two, both teenagers? Were they? Um, at the time, the oldest one was have it go, about to turn twenty-one. The youngest one was mm. nineteen. Um, and I guess for them, it was their first significant loss. Um, yeah. You know, um, yeah. Though I don't think they'd really experienced apart from like my grandmother, their great-grandmother, they um, hadn't really had someone close to them die before. Um, mm. And their stepdad, but still someone who'd been a huge part of their life. Yeah, he, he had been part of their life since they were small. They were like seven and five when when they met him and he Craig came into our life. So he's been a big part of their life, yeah. Um, okay, so this showed up again now, so I'm going to go with it. Um, I apologise in advance if this is a bit emotional. What support did Craig give you that is the hardest thing to, to not have? Craig? Uh, yeah. I tell you, you know, when I met him, he was... I just knew, yeah. you know, I just knew he was the guy. And he's just so understated and no, no frills. He's not, he's not a guy that's going to buy you flowers every week, but the way that he would show his, his care and love and for you would be to do things like, um, and, he, and he didn't make a big fuss about it, but you just felt so taken care of when something just got done. And I wanted to change careers from working in a PA to an MP role to working in fitness. And it was like, go and do it. That's what you want to do. And I always had that unconditional support um, to do whatever, you know, and I would, we'd talk about stuff, we'd bounce ideas off each other. But, you know, it was just... I don't know. We, we we just worked, and not perfect relationship by any means. Because you know, we we used to have our our moments where we clash on opinions and things. But just the ingredients was were all there for a, a you know a, a perfect relationship for for me. Yeah. Yeah. Not perfect. Awesome. Not you know what I say, but not perfect by the definition of perfect, but perfect for 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 me. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it was it was the love of my life. Yeah. That's important. It's like nothing's perfect like that. In fact, it's the it's the uh, imperfections, which is the is just a real connection, I reckon. So, yeah. Go on. Oh, like he he was, you know, great with the kids. Um, he thought of them as his own. Um, they could talk to him about anything. Um, and he, you know, he, he, he was great with my family. He, he cared about people. He had mates he liked, you know, he, he, yeah, if you were in his life, you, you mattered, you know, like you knew you mattered. Mm -hmm. Um, 
what I know of people like that is they often then are sort of wearing stuff for everyone, right? Like they they tend to be the sort of person that's there for everyone else. But was he was he a bit that way inclined? Is like you just oh, quietly get on with it. I'm I'm all good and. Well, he, I mean, I, his 40th birthday, he he just said, I'm having a couple of mates over. We're having a barbecue. He said, you can come because we were dating at the time. He said, you can come. But he said, don't be buying cake and don't be singing at me. He said, I don't want anyone to know it's my birthday. I just want to have, you know, and, and, he, and that's what he did. That's what we did. We just hung out, had a few drinks, had a barbecue, and everyone went home and he was happy. Because he got to celebrate on his terms. Cool. That's the type of guy he was. Yeah, yeah. So when my kids come on the scene and start saying, we want to sing happy birthday, <laughs> <laughs> he put up with it, but you could see that he was just hating every minute of it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Um, so I don't, I don't necessarily want to dwell too much on, on you know, the how it all sort of unfolded from there, but – on the other side of his passing, like, was there an, like you mentioned before, it's like panic attacks and like, mm. looking back now, was it, do you know why those things were happening? Oh, I, I don't know why they were happening. I, I, I can't understand it. I just know that I pushed back and fought it and, I send, seem to make that worse. Um, if I, I saw someone out in public, I would bolt the other way because I didn't want to fall apart in front of them. I'd just see someone and go, <gasps> you know, a, and panic attack with like an anxiety type response and I'd just feel tears pricking my eyes and a lump in my throat and I just had to get out of there. Mm. Um, and I remember being at the shopping centre one day doing a bit of getting a bit of food shopping I didn't even think about doing online shopping like here's the thing I don't even think like my I'm so um you know in the process in the in the pattern of going to the shop to do my shopping that I didn't even think or oh, to avoid going out I can do online shopping like I just didn't even think about it but there I am one day putting t you know some tin tomatoes in the trolley and on Cole's radio they've got like the songs playing and there's this song Sarah by was it Jefferson Starship or something and it's not a song that I'm connected to but it just set me off and I was walking I just ended up I think left the trolley and just walked out of the shop because I was just howling and it's like the stupidest thing set you off hmm. yeah. um, and it was it was just horrible. I thought, how do I, how do I live like this? How do I function? How do I go back to work if I can't even go to the shop and buy a few groceries without falling apart? <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, and a friend of mine said to me, you know, she was um, going through something with her own health at the time, and she said, you know what? I always cry when I go to the doctor. She said, so I just. Um, say to myself, probably going to cry. If I don't, it's a bonus. So I went, okay, I reckon I can do that. So I took that on and I went out and I'd be like, okay, I can feel it. And I thought, okay, I'm just going to let it happen because I've got no, I can't control this. Yeah. And 
and you know you'd feel the big lump coming up in your throat and you'd feel the waves of emotion and all of that and you just think right I just have to accept that this is how life is for now and I'm just going to have to do it because otherwise I'm just going to keep running yeah that's a great description it's like initially it's the self-judgment of how you think you should be behaving followed by eventually you you come to the point or some don't but eventually you need to come to the point of just self self acceptance otherwise it'll just continue to tear you apart was that a big shift for you like being able to come to that point absolutely it was a game changer because i actually felt like i could manage better yeah, nice. um and I just would say to people, people would say to me, oh, are you okay? Because, you know, I'd be talking and it might not be talking about anything um, emotionally uh, triggering for want of a better word, but I would just feel this lump and my voice would shake and the tears would come and then it would just go away as quick as it came. I said, this is what I do now, apparently. So I said, <laughs> you're going to have to go with me on this because I've got – I." I don't, I can't control it. So you, I'm mm -hmm. just okay with it. You'll have to be okay with it too. Yeah. Yeah. Did you grow up in like a, in a household that was really stoic and, and didn't show too much emotion? Oh, uh, I guess I grew up with the attitude that, you know, men don't cry. Men are, men are strong. Men, men don't show feelings. Um, but I wouldn't say that it was stoic. Um, I remember when my grandfather died, I was nearly 10. And I remember being really, um, really sad about that because that was kind of like my first significant um, loss as well at that age. Mm -hmm. And I don't remember anyone ever. I mean, I do remember a couple of people saying to me, you know, well, that's enough now, you know. Telling oh, really? a nearly 10-year-old, like, after a couple of weeks that, you know, crying about grandpa was time to kind huh. of st to stop. And and, and uh, at the time, I was just thinking, oh, wow. But, you know, and I, I do remember at some point, I guess, it did kind of just stop. Hmm. But with, with Craig, I, I felt like I just cried every day. And I've, I, then one day I thought, I don't think I cried today, but it was months later, like, <laughs> you know, um, where you kind of, I actually got through the day and I don't remember crying. Wow. Look at you. <laughs> so, um, yeah, but I, I can't tell you what day it was, but uh, it was, it was a long time afterwards. Hmm. Um, do you, do you get like pain in your left heel or left Achilles or? Do I? Yeah. I have a bruise on the back of my left calf at the moment. Left calf. I keep getting this pain down, down like, I'm like, what is that about? I keep, it keeps coming up at different points of the conversation, so I thought maybe I'd just go straight to it. Um, okay. Because I don't know how much work you've done in that space around uh, that, how the body sort of holds on to different stuff. Um, fascinating. But what you described there that that's a great piece for people to take away is like you describe the resistance like oh, I can't feel this and all that did was make it worse right you had more anxiety so it's 
just allowing the emotion and then and then worry about what people are thinking and then going, well, I'll just allow that too and then eventually just come into that place of acceptance. I think that if, if anyone going through anything, like you can fight it all you want but it's still going to come and yep. being able to get to that place of self-acceptance. So is that something – I know you do a heap of work now helping people through these sort of things. Is that something, a big part of what you teach people now? It is like – it is about – sitting in it feeling it like you can't deal with it if you don't feel it and if you keep pushing it away and running away from it and doing all the things that society tells us to do like keep busy or just give it time or you know like yeah just go and do something else or you know it 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 doesn't fix the problem and not saying that grieving people need to be fixed but it doesn't it doesn't help with the healing process Keeps if you just stuck. keep moving, you know, moving around it. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and yeah, our, our feelings are messages effectively. So they're trying to tell us something. So if we're not listening, they start screaming. And screaming yep. is usually in the form of chronic illness or major, major stuff going down health-wise. So, um, you know, dealing with it in order to move through it and move forward, um, yeah, you, you, you've got to sit with it mm. as uncomfortable as it can be. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I wouldn't usually do this, but given you work in the same space and you've done a heap of this work already, I'm, I'm going to uh, guess that it's okay. But that when you were talking about that, um, moving forward and, and it's going to be okay like that the same that same pain right my right here which i is usually get a reflection from someone else so what what what's the bruise on the left car from i went to a friend's 50th on the weekend i think it's a dance injury <laughs> <laughs> fantastic um you, you asked i'm pretty i, I told you nothing's really off the table <laughs> <laughs> no it's good um <laughs> How much fun was the was the dance party? Yeah, well, it, it was not was, dance it, party, the party. Yeah, it was it was a good night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I think you know, turning um, there's something about turning fifty. I think you've just got to again accept it, embrace it, go with it, and have a hell of a time with it. Mm. I agree. Given uh, that just happened a couple of months ago for me as well. Um, okay, so let's uh, join the dots there. So. What, how much fun were you still managing to have through all of this time? Like, mm. were you able to make light of any of it or was it all pretty serious? I think that um, it's an interesting thing, question you asked me because um, I did have, I did meet somebody who, um, uh, I don't know how it started, but we just, we went out and, we saw a band and it was fun. And I, I think I danced as a way of coping, I think, yeah. you know, and, and we would go out and, you know, see this particular band at this particular place. And I just loved dancing. And I think it was a way of either wearing myself out so that I, you know, I, I was, you know, and, but it was distraction 
as well. Yeah. Like it was all, yeah. it was the, it was the, the typical stuff. Some people yeah. throw themselves into work. Some people throw themselves into other things. Like I think um, going out dancing was something that I, you know, I did, but it was a significant period down the track. I had kind of gone back to work at that point and, um, yeah, so it wasn't sort of straight away, but it was a way of trying to, I don't know, not sit at home and be miserable. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I reckon this is something that, that all people face after grief is is just that internal confusion and doubt around when's it okay to feel like this, when's it okay to do this, and that sort of unconscious pattern of, it almost doesn't feel right to be happy again initially because it's like, yeah, go on. Yeah. No, I, it's all the stuff people say. You've got people telling you yeah. it's too soon, others telling you, you have, it's been long enough. Um, yeah, yeah. And then you've got some people telling you that this is going to take a really long time. Other people are saying, you know, you're still young and you'll meet someone new and you think – None of this is helpful. <laughs> no. None of it is helpful because it's it's not actually what I'm what I what I'm feeling or thinking. And no. I, I I did start to feel like after a while, it's like I I need to st I feel frustrated that people are are projecting their thoughts and perceptions about how I should or shouldn't be feeling and doing and mm -hmm. and saying. But I feel like I I don't know how to say something back without hurting their feelings. And how is it okay? How is it that I'm suddenly emotionally responsible for their reaction to me when they are completely oblivious yeah. to what is being said to me? So that's what I mean, sitting with it and thinking about it. And that's when I, I kind of went, you know what? That's not what I think. That's not how I feel. And that's not what I believe. And when I came back with one of those three things to stuff that was said to me that I didn't align with, it was like, oh, you know, oh, you don't feel like that. No, I don't actually. <laughs> um, and it, it was a game changer because I felt like I suddenly had a boundary that could nice. I could protect myself from having to just take the battering of other people's stuff and actually stand in my own truth and, and, and voice how I actually felt without offending somebody. Yeah. Fantastic. And what you described there is is something that uh, a guest a couple of weeks ago brought up. It's like suddenly I'm not just managing my own emotions, I'm managing the emotions of the people that don't know how to deal with my grief. And it, I, again, I think that's something that, that people face in this situation again and again because people don't know what to say. They don't know right. what to do. But if I look at the pattern the whole way through for you, the one person that you described that was such a good help and you described what it was, he, he just listened, made it about you, asked good questions and then just listened. And I think if people look at, if they're, because sometimes you don't know what to say and sometimes saying nothing's fine, but it's just, yeah, it's just being able to listen, right? Yeah, it is like, and it's, this is where I, I, I love spending a lot of my love talk about grief but it, the, the stuff that I, I like to talk about with people is actually take the pressure off yourself to know what to say or do because yeah. it doesn't matter what you say 
because each individual is unique and each person is going to have a different reaction to what you say. One person might respond really well to it, but someone over here might find that really quite a jarring comment. So ask them how they feel and listen. Let them ex let them express how they feel and don't suddenly, don't chuck up opinions in there. Don't ask questions. Don't make it about you. Let them talk about how they feel. And, you know, it's amazing how much safety comes from that like when you can just someone will just sit there and listen and let yeah. you talk and you just go I actually feel better for having that experience you know yeah. rather than well what did you do then and then what happened and then oh my god oh my god that must have been terrible and and the next thing you know you it's sort of like <laughs> what's what's going on here and yeah I don't yeah, feel yeah. safe to share anymore you're turning this into a into into something else and soap opera or something yeah yeah. Um, so that's my my thing about educating people about how to support yeah. grievers or people, you know, yeah. is is really there are no words. So let's put stop putting pressure on ourselves to come up with these unhelpful platitudes or things we've heard other people say in the past that, you know, like they've had a good innings and oh they're in a better place, you know, those sorts of things. We we hear them all the time because we hear them all the time, but they're not particularly helpful. So sometimes just saying, I heard what happened. I can't imagine how you feel. Um, do you want to talk to me about it? Yeah. Yep. <sighs> yep. Sometimes it can be that simple. And it, it, and it can be. Like mm. I, I had a beautiful, um, when, when like I spoke to other women who'd gone through similar losses and wanted to find out a bit more about their stories and one woman told me about a friend of hers that rang her from another state she's in america and she said i heard what happened i don't know what to say and i don't know what to do but that's not a reason not to call hmm. like how lovely is that yeah and it's funny i, I can remember one conversation that really stands out for me too is that they they didn't really say much at all but I, it stuck in my head because it was like I, I didn't want to talk to anyone because i didn't want to talk to anyone but i didn't want to be left alone either and just having someone that was just like there letting letting you know that they're there i think so that's a nice little segue into the work that you do do now jody so you mentioned it's it's about learning teaching people how to support someone which to me is a perfect fit for you given everything you've described that you didn't necessarily had but you did have that one window where you where you were shown what good looks like yeah it um so i i i told, said earlier like i found felt like there was a real hole that i didn't know existed and i fell in it mm. Hmm. And I was looking for support and I felt like I couldn't find what I needed. And one day I was on social media um, and I was on a page that was designed for women who had who were widows. The page was actually called Widow Chick. And yeah. she, the woman who hosts that, runs a podcast and does a whole lot of things about um, life after loss and widowhood in particular. 
And someone on a th one of the comments threads was saying about being a grief recovery specialist. And I thought, what is that? So I jumped <laughs> off that and, and, you know, did a search for it. And up comes all this information about the grief recovery method. Um, I don't know if you've heard of it. No. Because um, I hadn't. And I trawled through the website and then I found, oh, Australasia. There's something here in Australia because it was American-based. Hmm. And I was actually, this was Father's Day 2019. It's a Sunday morning. And I go... So this, is only, this is only a short time after Craig's passing. Yeah, that's yeah, right. Wow. He, he passed away in June 2019. So this is September. And I've just gone, right, I'm, I need to find out more about this. So I get on the phone. I'm thinking no one's going to pick up a phone on Sunday of Father's Day. Yeah. But somebody did. And wow. I had about a half an hour conversation with this person who was the, um, uh, the person who ended up um, taking me through the program and, and I ended up becoming certified to deliver the program as well. Um, and somebody who was so hesitant to leave their home and go anywhere, like I had friends saying, bring the dog up the river, come for the weekend. And I didn't want to go anywhere. Mm. I booked a flight and accommodation and booked into <laughs> this course and I was going to Perth. I've never been anywhere like that. I haven't been to Perth before by myself to do this. I like just complete, you know, compelled, like I have to do this. Yeah. So again, quite bizarre that, you know, you, you can't go half an hour up the road to, you know, <laughs> there, but you can go, you can get on a plane and fly to Perth. What's, yeah. So I did. And um, yeah, I, so I had to work through my own loss, obviously, um, yep. in order to become um, able to do the certification and become a, a grief recovery specialist. And, um, and why that aligned, it just, it just felt so aligned with the way um, that I, it, it just it was like reading something that just got you. Yeah. It got you. You just go, oh, my gosh, this makes so much sense. How did I yeah, not know cool. about this? Yeah. So, um, so yes, not only do I help people who are grieving, but I also want to help society do it, a support role better and understand, you know, if you can understand my grief, you probably have a better understanding of your own if and when it shows up. Oh, let's not say if. It is going to show up. Like 100%. Yeah. 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 So... With all respect to the training that you've done with um, this business, I know with any training I've done, there's always something there that you think, well, if it had this, it would be even better, which is your own flavour, right? So mm. what's that flavour for you? What is that special thing that you bring to it when you mm. go above and beyond that, that just comes from your own experience? That's a great question. I think... Um, I've always, like, in my health and fitness business, I've always been a very um, walk the walk, talk the talk type person. Yeah. Um, so I wasn't just telling my clients what to do. I was doing it too. If I was eating, you know, if I'm saying, you know, ways to add more veggies into your day, I was doing it. Um, if I was telling them to move their body more, I was doing it. So that authenticity, I think, um, and really following 
and practicing what you preach, I think, is really important. And I, I, tr I, it takes a lot of practice to try and change the way you do things in terms of having expectations of stuff, to try yeah. and remove expectations. So because the gap between reality and expectation is where grief falls. You're going to expect to grow old with your person. Something happens that doesn't occur. The expectation is no more. It's an unmet hope, dream, re um, expectation of that relationship. So there you've got the loss of that. Um, so trying to just let things be what they are, let people be who they are, rather than placing an expectation that they, it's going to be this or it's going to be that. or it's I'm going to go out and have a great night and it turns out to be a complete fizzer. You know, um, it's going to be a night. It's going to be what it will be. <laughs> You know, um, trying to just manage that perception of of um, of what what we place on things, um, and some you know I have some people who say, oh yeah, but you've got to you, you know I think you can expect things from people. And it's like, well, do they know that we expect it from them? Yeah. yeah. Do they? No, they're just coming to the table with what they've got. We get to choose whether we interact with that or whether that's something that we oh, we, we um, want to continue with. But ultimately, they, they're going to be who they are. Um, yeah, I guess just trying to, I guess trying to get back to your, what you're saying, but what I bring to it is that, yeah, I, I just am really passionate about creating conversations around uncomfortable topics like grief and loss and end of life and all of those things because they are a normal natural part of life and we See. can't just work around them and hope that they don't show up because they're going to show up because they will yeah mm. i love that so what you bring is the authenticity to to actually not just having walked the walk you continue to walk the walk and talk the talk uh yeah that's awesome you mentioned the expect go on um but i also like you know i've i've i've, I've done other things that um give me a platforms to do that so it's it allows me to have that conversation on on varying in varying ways yeah yeah, very cool. We'll come. We'll come to some of those platforms shortly. Yeah, you mentioned about expectations. The expectation is when you've got a husband, like you described, love of your life, that you think about all those different things, plans you had for the future, and all the different things that you're going to do. How have you coped with the fact that that is no longer possible? Like, has it brought anger, frustration, sadness? Uh, yeah. opportunity for healing all of the above all of the above like it's it's a journey right and as i say mm. to people like you don't forget that you went to school you don't forget getting your driver's license i don't mm. forget that i had two children right i'm not going to yeah. forget that people i loved have died um so it's not about um doing some healing work so that you'd never have to think about it again because it doesn't work like that but what it does do is allow you to, for me, I, I guess I'm, I'm going to talk about it from my perspective because I, it's different for everyone. 
But for me, I'm not coming at it from the place of pain and loss all the time. I can actually connect to Craig from a place of love now, which nice. is so much more healthier and nicer and positive. Um, it doesn't mean that, you know, anniversaries and birthdays and things like that, that, you know, there are days where grief will come and visit. Yep. And I sit with it and acknowledge it and allow myself to have a moment. But I don't sit in that space anymore. Like grief does not own this space anymore. I own the space and grief is allowed to visit and kind of, you know, I'm allowed to have those feelings, but I can process them a lot quicker and move through that a lot more effectively. Mm, love that. Just had a thought you were talking, you talked about end of life and you've got that connection now with Craig. And I was just thinking, I just got goosebumps just thinking about like those times where the grief grabs you out of nowhere. Is that them just sending you a little message just to let you know, yeah, I'm here and, and it's and it's we, we think it's sad tears, but it's actually just emotion. Hmm. Yeah, I think I think it's both. I think it like I feel like I feel things simultaneously. I, I can be at mm -hmm. someone else's wedding and be happy for the couple, but yeah. at the same time be thinking, ah, oh, like I was married for a little while. Mm. You know, and I mean a little while, yeah. like 24 hours. Yeah, because we got married the day before he died. So, you know, it was you know, you you have that that sensation. It's it's for me, I, it feels heightened. I feel like I, I pro it was probably there before, but I have a, a yeah. more, I don't know, acute awareness of feeling two things at the same time because <laughs> it's not in a vacuum. It's, yeah, it's all part yeah. of the same thread, but it's just, um, yeah, weirdly obvious. Yeah. So you've been together for a long time, obviously. We'd been together for 14 years, yeah, but we hadn't married and then we, you know, priorities change when things like a terminal diagnosis are thrown into your, into your world and you kind of go, well, what's really important to us right now? What do we huh. want to do? We've got six to eight months. What do we want to do with that? What a beautiful moment that must have been to have been able to have that with him it was he was uh, he was a uh, he's funny like he had a very dry sense of humor and that sense of humor was all the way through and yeah. the morning that we were getting married he he was really tired he he was working hard and uh and as much as i wanted to marry him i said look you know i don't want you to put yourself through anything um unnecessarily tiring this is about you i know we said we wanted to do this but honestly like i'm I, this is about you hmm. and and he actually said to me sounds like you're trying to back out <laughs> <laughs> love it hmm. he was he wasn't gonna let you uh, he said no. no he said we were gonna we're doing this he said it's important to us we said we're going to we're gonna do it so we did what a legend that's so cool. I know, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, tell me, in the work that you do, from my experience, it's not just the 
emotions that you're dealing with on your own. It's like like we described before when you, when you explain to other people, then you get their emotions come on, and then when you're training, it's the same sort of thing, right? You're you're helping other people before they do learn to train. They need to be able to do some work around themselves, and and then you're helping people, and it's the struggle of emotions that you've just been through, you're actually inviting more of it in. Like I see it as such a, an honour to be able to, to help people in a space that that I that I probably didn't have at different times. So how do you look at that, uh, that emotional support perspective and how do you manage your emotions when it, it is such a heavy toll when you're looking after other people? That's, um, I get asked that a lot, like it must be terrible, must be draining, must be so sad. You spend a lot of time in that part of the life, the, the lifespan, Jody. Um, and it's so rewarding though, like it's, it's so rewarding to help people. You can't take it off them. You can't outsource grief. It's not like having a baby and saying, here's the bottle, here's the child. I'm ducking out to the shops for an hour. You'll be fine. Yeah. It goes with you everywhere. It's relentless. You cannot outsource it. But, you know, I talked about that hole. And for me, like, I'm, I'm, I'm a, I think I'm a visual. Like, a, um, I have this visual in my head. I've, you fall in the hole. And I don't want to stay in the hole because that means that I'm not actually healing by being stuck down there. But I'm not yeah. going to walk away from the hole knowing other people are falling in and not offer a handout. Love it. Um, and I think... That is what it's about, is, is saying, I, you know, I, I can't walk this path for you, but I can hold your hand while you're on it. Um, yeah, I, I see you, I hear you, and I'm, and I'm here. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the amount of people that will say things like, I just feel heard for the first time in ever, because, yeah. you know, you know how to, you know how to just shut up and listen when, when they need you to shut up and listen. Yeah, yeah. And, you, and, you, and you talked before about, oh, you know, you, that's what you love to do and then you kind of backpedal and went, oh, I've like talking about grief. But to me, it's that part. It's it's not the talking. It's to provide a safe place for other people to feel better. Yeah. And obviously to educate, you do have to talk, right? Of but, course. But when you're with a client or with, your, with someone, a friend, a family member, anyone, like you're, you know, it's about, letting them talk and have their feelings and not judging them, not telling them, oh, well, you shouldn't be doing that or you should do this or, you know, why aren't you crying? You should be falling apart right about now. You know, maybe some people don't cry. Maybe some people, like people say that, you know, we all heard that that person that laughs at a funeral. Like they're not an insensitive person. They, that's their emotions showing up. They, they don't know. Maybe that's the only way they know how to cope with it. Yeah, 100%. And I think that's that comes back to something you said before, the self-judgments, obviously, because we're worried about other people's judgment. But but ultimately, like in those moments of grief, everyone's dealing with it the best they can. No, no one's doing it wrong. No one's right. trying to be anything. They're just trying to get by the best that they can. Trying to get through the day, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You're right. I think you're absolutely right when you say there is no right or wrong way. Like it's, it's just, you know, um, accepting that that's how it is. 
yeah, I don't know if you've experienced this, but the amount of times I've had people say to me, like, when, usually when we're first getting started, but sometimes after a while as well, this is going to sound dumb or stupid or silly or whatever. And it's like, no, it's going to sound whatever it sounds like to you. It's like, it's just, just mm -hmm. however you want to deal with it. And I think that's such an important lesson for people to, to know, right? Well, it is because, I mean, even um, like understanding the stages of grief, right, and how Kubler-Ross um, sort of worked with the terminally ill and came up with that, um, the, the five stages. And then it kind of got turned that, you know, anyone that's going through grief is going to have these stages and, fit, you know, go through this process. But it's not actually the same. And no. people think, like, because people said, oh, well, you must be in that stage or whatever. And I've had people say to me, I thought I was grieving wrong because I didn't go through this stage <laughs> thing. Yeah. And, and, you know, and, and you think, I, that, oh, my brain goes to two places. One is, like, how awful is it that, you know, people feel like they have to follow a process to grieve <laughs> yeah. and yeah. the pressure they're putting on themselves. And how awful this is already anyway without feeling like you're you're screwing it up and you're not doing it by other people's standards but also just how ingrained some of our programming and our messaging is that yeah. that we think that this is a, a, a linear or formulaic process formulaic yep. is a word here yeah, but yeah Yeah, it's, there's a structure, but it's just there as a guide. It's not the definitive. And yeah. the more people can remember that, the better. You, you, you talked about helping people with end of life uh, and the transitioning process. Can you share a little bit about the, that work that you do and, and why that's so important for you? Well, I, I wanted to be more active in that space, but I've, um, you know, it's, it's again, um, an important discussion to have um we we plan for weddings we plan for the birth of our children we plan for retirement yep we should be planning our death and you know a lot of people don't want to talk about that either um but from a point of view of um you know when you think about if you plan plan that stuff you plan your death you get on with living your life because you know it's all taken care of <laughs> right? Yeah, right. Um, and, and you're having those important conversations with people now about what's going to happen or what my wishes are. If in the event of this happening, these are the steps I want you to make. Um, but it's not only that stuff. It's also planning for what if you've got pets? Who's going to look after your pets in the event that something happens to you? Or if you've got children or you've got an, an a, um, a dependent uh, spouse or child who has high care needs who's going to take that responsibility off like if that's your responsibility in your your role who's going to manage that um, yeah. and, and you know so it's about thinking the bigger picture rather than just about coffins and funerals and and um, you know that that stuff it's also logistics the, yeah yeah so having having conversations about that and and in, 
I think um, just having it going to an end of life expo last week, like it was very, um, you know, they're talking about courageous conversations in that space because it is, you know, it is confronting to to talk about mortality, our mortality. It is, but necessary. Mm. You mentioned before, not only have you got a book, but a cabaret show. Now, this is nothing that I've ever heard before working in this space. So tell us about how that came to be and uh, and what that's all about. Well, I, I, as I said to you, I was sharing a lot of my experiences about with what was happening with grief and, and you know, putting it on social media and going, I don't feel like I'm me anymore. Um, if, if you see me out in public and I bolt, please don't take it personally. I'm just not coping seeing people. Yeah. Yeah. And... Um, and I had people say to me, you should write a book. And I thought, yeah, nah, I don't write books. Like, it's not, <laughs> not, not, not who I am. Um, but that message came through. Finally, I went, you know what, maybe I will write a book. So I did. I COVID kind of hit and I'd, be, I'd come back from Perth and done my certification in grief recovery. Um, COVID sort of was on the... I think it was five, seven days later or something with me getting back from Perth. We are locked down. Um, so I interviewed other women about their their experiences and things that were helpful and unhelpful for them, what the people said, and and I collated that information and and uh, worked with a writing coach to um, to deliver my my first book called Have You Met My Grief? And that. Um, then became sort of a, a, a the story about Craig and I um, became a a ten minute set of a bigger show um, because I, I'm very passionate about talking about grief and loss and the impact that it can have on us. So I decided to turn it into a ten minute set of a show, and then that ten minute set turned into a one hour one woman show with a piano accompaniment. Um, yeah. And it's called Have You Met My Grief as well. And um, But it doesn't just explore loss from um, from Craig's death. It was also, you know, unmet dreams of of becoming a performer, you know, getting into performing arts school and missing out on the police force and my first marriage ending in divorce. And, you know, at the end of the show, I kind of discuss a few other types of losses that people might not associate as loss and that grief are the feelings or grief um, is the um, experience that people are having as an emotional reaction to that. Yeah, so it's another platform to have that conversation for people to connect to their own story, to maybe go and have conversations with people in their lives about stuff and say, I didn't know that I was grieving until that woman told me I was. You know, like because I connected with something, or yeah, you know. So good, and what I've loved throughout this whole chat, Jody, is that everything you do is very much a product of everything from your past. And to me, it's nothing says someone's on the right path than that. Like even down to the the cabaret show, which is like you said, it's a it's a reflection of that the missed opportunities or however you worded it around um, being a performer. 
and to me it's a massive credit to you that you've faced everything and and used it as an opportunity to not just to learn and grow for yourself but then to be able to pass it on to other people and to me that's just one of the greatest gifts you can give the world thank you but like I had people sharing their stuff, which made me feel like I had permission to share my stuff. Nice. Um, and, the, you know, I had books that I read and TED Talks that I listened to. And is that your book falling off? <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and, and people, you know, by sharing their experiences and, and saying, I felt like this and I felt like that, and I being able to go, oh, Thank God, like it's not just me. Um, it's huge. And I've, I've, said, I've said it a thousand times, like it's such a gift when someone gives you words to describe what you're going through that you don't understand and to yeah. be able to articulate what you're, what you're experiencing um, because you can say, oh, I didn't know that that's what that felt like. Those are the, that, that, you know, now I can actually say how I feel. I can express it. It's a yeah. gift. And why wouldn't you want to share that? Like I, I just, you know, I, I know how it made me feel. Okay, 100%. Be, yeah. And I'll just catch you out in one thing. Not, not that, but, not but, because you had all those examples, and you yeah, also yeah. experienced the same thing, so you're passing it forward. Because but's almost dismissing, like, what, all those amazing things that you've done, right? Like, I get what you're saying. Think, yeah, um, again, wouldn't uh, be so direct with someone unless I know they'd done a heap of work and, and knew where I was coming from. Um, I could literally ask a million more questions, Jay. I feel like but given given we're talking a lot of similar stuff and we only just scratch the surface, you just talked about some of those things, previous marriage, we talked about, you know, that, that um, you know, performance element there's so much grief laced through all of that right um yeah but it's and like somebody said to me about you know you could turn around and go oh i've had the worst life ever but i haven't had the worst life ever like those experiences have created the person i am like yeah you know and it's like jobs like i've had so many different types of jobs in my life they've they've all given me skills and knowledge and experience and abilities to to use in current role um but life you know and i think you know that's what i mean about sitting in the in that work like you've got to do the work whatever work you choose to do whatever thing that you choose to work with to to work through your healing and and all of that because you can actually go you know what that happened um, like there was a time I hated grief. I hated it. I didn't want it anywhere near me, but I respect it because of what it's taught me. And I have insights and percept- perspective from it, which is amazing and shit at the same time. Exactly. <laughs> right? <laughs> yes. It's amazing that I have it, but it's shit what I had to go through to get it and what I had to lose to have it. Uh, and also sometimes the relentless nature of what it is now, right? Well, it, the book, the, the cabaret show, every time I do something in this direction, 
the one person I want to talk to about it isn't here. And yeah. every now and again, like when I have when I have these these moments of um, I'm getting emotional now. When I have these moments of wow, like my book is landing where I want it to. The cabaret show was received how I wanted it to be. The one person I want to share that with isn't here. I have to take some time for for Jody to just go. You know what? I need to just sit with this for a bit and process the weirdness of the fact that I'm doing all this because he's not here and would I be doing it if he was? Yeah. Yeah. It's one of the hardest things for people to face through grief is that because I've had the same conversation with countless people, would would I love to have my dad here still? Absolutely, every day. Absolutely. I've gone on the journey that I've gone on since after his passing. I don't know for sure, but I can't imagine. So it can be both. It can be both. That's right. And and it's like I said, it's just a, a, it's, I've learnt now that every now and again I just have to go, that was big. We need yeah. to just take a little bit of time for ourselves to sit with this, <sighs> tap out of the world for a bit and just, you know, and then because I'm not going to stop doing this work. I, I love it. It's too rewarding. It's too important. I'm too passionate about it. Yeah. But I know that there is a level of self-care that goes with it. And again, I encourage that in people. I'm going to, I'm not going to not do it for myself. Yeah, good. Well, thank you for so much. Thank you so much for coming on and, and sharing all your wisdom, your story, like everything that like we went pretty deep into the, the mire there. So I appreciate it because I know the listeners will take so much out of this. I appreciate you giving me this time and sharing your story. Thanks, Jody. Thank you so much for the opportunity and I'm looking forward to watching more of your work too. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Grief Code podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Please share it with a friend or family member that you know would benefit from hearing it too. If you are truly ready to heal your unresolved or unknown grief, let's chat. Email me at info at ianhawkinscoaching.com. You can also stay connected with me by joining the Grief Code community at ianhawkinscoaching.com forward slash the grief code. And remember, so that I can help even more people to heal, please subscribe and leave a review on your favorite podcast platform.